So last week, John spoke on Jesus' statement, I am not alone. And I'm going to continue further down on that sort of portion of scripture and uh, when, where Jesus says, I am not of this world. Okay. So it's important to remember that he was speaking to the Pharisees at that time. He wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just on his own with the disciples or, or people that were following him. He was looking and talking to the, the Pharisees and they'd been trying to trick him. You know, he'd just been, it, they'd just come away from the, the, the time where the woman was caught in adultery and they were trying to get him to condemn her and he wasn't going to fall into their trap. Um, and then a bit later on, they carried on questioning him. So he was talking to them and they, they were trying to trip him up. So let's just have a quick look at what he said from John 8, uh, verse 21 to 28. Later, Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot come where I'm going. Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say to you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted, deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. So let's just pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for the message that you've given to me this morning. And I pray that it will glorify and honor you, Lord. Lord, let it be all of you. And... Um, and I pray that, Father, if anything comes out that's not of you, that it would just fall to the ground. But, Lord, I pray that we would have teachable hearts to hear what you're saying to us, Lord, as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so before I start, it's easy to think when Jesus said, I'm from above and you are from below, um, you belong, yeah, it says, you belong to this world, I do not. It's easy to think, well, yeah, because it's Jesus, son of God. You know, it's easy to think it just applies to him and not us. And we could easily just skim over that little bit and just move on. But when you look at what he said to the disciples and when he taught them to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it shows us that he wants us all to live a kingdom life, God's kingdom life, here and now, not just something that we're waiting for later on. We can live a kingdom life now because it literally means heaven on earth, doesn't it? When he's saying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that 
Lord's Prayer, it's that kingdom approach to praying. It starts with worship. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Praise for heaven and earth. Then asks for heaven's effect on our material, personal, and moral lives. And then again, it ends in worship. And that's the the kingdom model of prayer, isn't it? And that's what God wants for us, that he's invited into every single area of our lives, that it's his will, that we're cared for in every way, that we're humble enough to ask for forgiveness, and that we're, you know, that we will be forgiving, that we're not tempted by evil, but rescued from it, and living in his kingdom and for his glory. And in the passage, Jesus mentions three things that distinguishes him from the world and us from the world as well. And the first one is this, number one, believe. In verse 24, he said, believe, if you believe in who Jesus is. And we've got to believe that he's always good, haven't we? We just sang goodness of God. And I think my, I'm sort of going away from my notes, but it was just on my heart as people were giving the testimonies that, you know, God is always good. And when I settled that in my heart, my life changed again. I was already saved, but as soon as I realized God is always good, all the time, without fail, he doesn't fail, he's good. And he always wants the best. It changed me again. And I think sometimes we need to really just come back to that and really settle it in our hearts. He's he's not there to wait for us to, to fall so he can punish us. He is good and he wants the best for us. He wants to see us succeed. And I read an amazing book years ago. It was the first time I'd ever heard of him by Bill Johnson from Bethel in America. And, uh, and it was called When Heaven Invades Earth. And it was, uh, it was brilliant. It was, lo- it was just lots of testimonies of how miracles were happening. They, they'd settled God was good. They stood on that kingdom lifestyle. And, you know, they saw just miracles happening like, in the car park and things like that. And, uh, and it, in, in it, he challenged, challenged us to work on our faith and believe for that heaven on earth lifestyle. Because when you think about it, look at heaven. If we want heaven on earth, there's no sin. There's no sickness. We're not biting, backbiting each other. There's no gossip. We're not little clones or robots of one another. We're not trying to be like each other. We're just worshipping Jesus. And we'll be walking in those unique combination of knowledge and giftings that is placed in each one of us. So we're all unique. And that worship will be a lifestyle. Peace is a lifestyle. We'll be completely safe. Now, that's, that would be wonderful to have here and now. It'd be amazing. And the, only way, and the only way this is possible, and it is possible, is to believe in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and to believe that he's good. And it's not saying that bad things don't happen. It's not saying... But we can, as, it, as kingdom believers, as, as citizens of heaven, we can still have that peace that passes all understanding no matter what. And we can have faith for his very best for us. 
We can believe for miracles. We can, we're now living in supernatural faith. It's not just an empty hope. It's supernatural faith. And Jesus said, with faith in him, all things are possible. So it is possible. And faith can be measured. Jesus often said things like, oh, you have little faith, or how great is your faith? He was amazed by the great faith of the centurion who came along and said, just say the word, and, and my child will be healed. And he was like, how great is this faith? You know, he, he likened it to a mustard seed, didn't he, as well? It can be tiny and still have a massive effect but also it can grow. Seeds grow. And, you know, and it grows when we study the word, doesn't it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Paul said. And the second point is um, no judgment. Number two, no judgment. He said, I have much to say and much to condemn, but not now. He didn't want to do it yet. It's not the right time. And, you know, we can fall into that trap, can't we? Oh, look at them. Oh, you know. And, you know, you might have heard the saying, be in the world, but not of it. And many people quote that as scripture. It's not actually written anywhere in the Bible, but it's just a summary of a lot of teachings in the Bible. It is consistent with the teaching of the New Testament, and we are definitely called to be um, in the world, but not of it. Um. You know, because it tells us, doesn't it, the Bible, that we're now citizens of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. So we're not meant to carry on as we were before, when we were not alive. You know, we're not meant to get involved in silly little squabbles. Jesus said he had lots to say, but he wasn't going to do it. Not then. He would not be drawn in, and he wouldn't be tempted into having a judgmental attitude. People want to know what we as Christians think about everything, don't they? And a lot of the time it's because they're, they're you know, wanting to see if we're going to fall into condemning somebody. You know, it's uh, quite easy to do that, isn't it? And, um, but often they might want us to just check whether we actually do love them, you know, it might be that they are looking for us to condemn, but, you know, if, when they find out that, no, we love, it's love that is, you know, above it all, above judgment. And, uh, yeah, some Christians do the kingdom of God absolutely no favours whatsoever when they go around hating other people really loudly. And I'm not saying, like, be a pushover or anything like that, or you have to accept everything. You know, you don't have to accept things you're not okay with. But it's not our place to go judging them. Let's remember there are hurting people who need healing and need the Lord. We're not looking at their lifestyles. Jesus didn't care about ours when he went to the cross. He just cared about saving us and loving us and bringing us into the kingdom. Judging is God's job, not ours. So, and, and more recently, you know, we've, we, we looked at, you know, be in the world but not of it. 
sort of a counter argument to that has come up and it, it's sort of along the lines of don't be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good and at first glance I was like oh yeah of course we've got to you know be like you know normal and it sounds a bit you know balanced and things like that and I remember yes of course I was thinking, yeah when I first heard it but is it consistent with what Jesus says? Because in Matthew 5, he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So is it consistent with the New Testament? I don't think so. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's clear that, you know, they might have been well-meaning when they said, came up with this phrase, about the heavenly-minded, no earthly good thing, but it's in direct opposition from Scripture. It's quite misleading, and I think it's probably exhausting because then we're going to go around trying to be relevant to everybody, and then who are we? You know what I mean? So we don't need to be exhausted and striving to be relevant because when you are walking in your calling, you are relevant. Because God made you that way. When, when we're walking in who God purposed us to be, without any striving, we can still be relevant. So, I do understand the sentiment, you know, behind it. Because we do need to empathise with people. I'm not saying let's not empathise or whatever. We, you know... We're called to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. And we definitely do need to do that. And going around just saying, I'll pray for you, instead of doing something, can also be a little bit counterproductive, can't it? It's not helpful. That is not what that phrase meant. Can you imagine? I'm hungry. Okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. My car's broken down. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'm on the motorway. I'll get the worship team to pray for you. I'll get the prayer team on it. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to... It's not the... Right, we can go and help, can't we? It's just laziness sometimes, dressed as spirituality. Right, I'll pray about it. You know, so let's... You know, James caught that one nicely when he wrote, Faith without works is dead. And Paul, in Hebrews 10, 23... 24 said let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works so don't don't misunderstand me there are times when only prayer you know we can only pray all we can do is pray especially in the cases of you know sickness and things like that and and it's an incredible support isn't it to pray for people. I'm not saying don't pray. Um, I know firsthand how that, how, you know, that, I think we've all probably been there where people have prayed for us and we've needed it. You know, it's, it's, it's actually amazing. It's an incredible support to someone who's struggling to know that there's faithful people praying for them. But we can do both, can't we? Prayer's powerful, but help is also powerful as well. So if you can do both, do both. Go for it. You might be an answer to prayer, you know, just by doing something. 
But I think that no earthly good saying, I think the um, more accurate version of it would be don't be so religious that you know earthly good. That's more accurate. Because it's that religious spirit, isn't it, that sets itself above, above other people. That superior, I've got it and you haven't sort of attitude. That judgmental, I'm not a sinner, you're a sinner type of thing. It's hard and nasty and a bit devoid of love, isn't it? Looking at people's faults and not helping or anything, but looking down on them because of it. And, you know, I don't know about you, but especially with social media, I'm seeing that sort of religious spirit rearing that ugly head a lot at the minute. There's a lot of it. And it's all that doctrine and Bible verses, but without any love there. It's all that, you know, judgment and no grace. There's no sort of help for people. There's no love or understanding. So that's what's no earthly God. We can't love a hurting world with a religious spirit. Because, you know, we'll never grow ourselves if we think we've already got it. You know, if we think we're already there, we're not going to grow anymore. But thankfully, it's all about Jesus. He's good. He saves. It's by his grace. It's nothing we did. Praise God. You know, and we only believe and accept that he has paid the price for us. He did all the work and he's perfecting us day by day. So let's not judge anyone else as unworthy of salvation because none of us are worthy of salvation, let's face it. You know, that's why Jesus went to the cross. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So when we show that kindness... That's what brings people into the kingdom. I've never heard of anyone getting saved when they've been told they're wrong. If you're, if you're going around going, you're wrong, and confrontate, no one gets saved that way, do they? It's more when you build a relationship and when you're kind, when you show love. You know, Jesus showed love when he went to the cross, didn't he? And obviously, you know, like religion is just, you know, a word that's got really negative connotations and we shouldn't really get hung up on it, you know. It's a word that's been abused, really, isn't it? It's been sort of defiled, I would say. But people will describe us as Christians. They'll describe us as religious, and that's okay. It just means a careful follower of his belief, religion, you know, and, you know, our religion is a pure and undefiled religion, James said, in chapter 1, verse 27, and it's active. I'll just read that. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we can help others, we can be there for people, we can be relevant, and we can be set apart. You know, it doesn't mean that we're hidden away. It just means that we're set apart. And why should we be set apart? What does it mean to be set apart? The Bible tells us that we're set apart for love and good works. It doesn't say judgment, does it? Love and good works. We love and serve, and that's what we're consistently asked to do. And the, pra the phrase 
set apart and sanctify are interchangeable in the Bible. It means being saved, made holy, and set apart for a holy purpose. If something or someone is set apart, they are distinguishable from others. So that's my third point. Listen for and always do what pleases the Father. Keep in step, be set apart. So we're called to be separate, not weird or secretive or segregated. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there are many verses which tells us to come out and be separate, distinguishable with the world, walking with him instead. Jesus called his disciples out from their daily lives to live and walk with him. They were separated from those they'd previously hung out with. They made a whole new group of friends. And, you know, those people that they worked with, they were separated from those. And they all came together and they learned his ways, his heart for the lost. They, you know, they learned how to carry on after he'd gone. He sent them out to pray for people, to heal people. And, you know, he taught them how to rely on the Holy Spirit after he'd gone as well. But at no time did they stop speaking to other people. Or, and they didn't stop helping other people. It was the opposite. He sent them out to engage, preach the gospel, help others, taught them to love, showed by example right up to the cross. But they were still separate and not, but not ignorant of what was going on around them. So think of what you were like before you became a Christian. Or just look at the culture of today. What are people seeking How are people looking for happiness and contentment? Where do they find their identity? What's it all wrapped up in? And what are people worrying about? Are we like that or are we different? Look at those around you who who don't know God. We can't expect them to want to know Jesus if we're speaking Christian speak or nagging them to church or quoting the Bible every two minutes. Nothing wrong with talking about God or saying what the Bible says, but if it's a constant, they're not going to want to come near you. But yes, we want them to see us as different. Not weird, but different. We're meant to be a shining light, an example. And if we have a relationship with God and seek him first in all things, then that light gets brighter and you know the Holy Spirit you can feel peace joy you can feel that all oozing out can't you of somebody who who has such a a close relationship with God and people notice it notice then they notice how different you are and you know we've all had times when people have gone you know you're a bit different there's something different about you In fact, I was out last night and somebody said, I want what you've got. And I was really, I find that a massive compliment because I just think, I was just like invited, you know, invited her to church, couldn't come today, but she just said, I just want what you've got and I, I don't know what to do about it. What an opportunity. And it's brilliant. I love it when people say things like that. And we can't allow, 
you know, the world's relentless pursuit of happiness and gratification to become our pursuit. We're called to seek God first, that he's our pursuit, isn't he? Everything else then will fall into place. We don't have to worry about anything. That's amazing, isn't it? If he clothes the sparrow, we don't need to worry how we're going to manage, you know? Feeds the sparrow and clothes the lilies. That's what it is, isn't it? I don't know what I've written there. Um, But there's nothing wrong with stewarding our life properly. But let's not sort of kid ourselves into thinking, you know, God's going to use a lottery to feed and clothe our kids. It's not going to work, you know. Because God has got you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He loves you. Collects your tears. Sings over you when you're asleep. I think that's beautiful. You know, he's not going to let you go. Let's seek him first. Galatians 5, 22 to 26, and we all know most of this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And we don't tend to read on from the the fruits list, do we? The bit about crucifying the flesh and keeping in step with the Spirit. When you keep in step with someone, what do you do? You change your pace to match theirs. You talk to them, you listen to them. If you respect them, you'll be taking on board what they're saying to you. And it's not the only verse about walking with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus described him as our teacher, our counsellor. He brings to mind what we need when we need it. He gives us his wisdom. And so we need to be intentional and listen for the Holy Spirit. Keep in step. Listen for, sometimes it's a very, very quiet way that he guides us. He might change direction. He may slow down or speed up. It's up to us to listen out for what he's doing. And peace, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not dependent like happiness is on how much stuff we've got or how much stuff we're doing or our jobs. It's not even dependent on somebody else to make us happy. You know, because that's putting a lot of expectation on another person, isn't it? We're not, it's not about making us happy. We walk in joy. We walk in peace. And we're blessed to be a blessing, aren't we? So, you know, let's go and bless someone. That's the happiest feeling ever, isn't it? You know, when you bless someone else, it gives you a great feeling. And we reap what we sow. So, you know, win-win. It's great. And we're called to live to that higher standard. So being amongst the world but reaching for a higher standard is what Jesus meant when he gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I tell you what, that is just the most amazing sermon. It's one of those that when you look back at it again, you go, wow, you're amazing. I love what he says there. 
and it's full of love and blessing and instruction and it's all from the heart and it's just wonderful and he says it with so much love that even when he's given instruction you don't take it as like you know doing it wrong or anything like that do you so you know he says he says things like I know you don't murder but if you've got hate in your heart you might as well be a murderer you know I'm paraphrasing obviously um he says I know you haven't committed adultery but if you look at someone else with lust then you know you have done you've betrayed your spouse in your heart he says seek God forgive love your enemies it takes a lot of strength to do that. It takes a lot of courage to do it. And it sets us apart. That's what makes us different from the world. There's a huge list of things he speaks about and deals with. The law, commandments, murder, adultery, divorce, promises, oaths, retaliation, love, charitable deeds, prayer. He gives the disciples the Lord's prayer in it. Forgiveness, fasting, well, there's lots that he deals with in that sermon and he always says you know but at the end this is what you might have heard this is how you might have thought about these things but as for you and that means us doesn't it he does that because it's a higher standard but it's not something that we have to strive for it's not something that we have to work at really hard because we've got the holy spirit to help us and if we walk if we're seeking God it comes naturally it becomes a natural way of life it's part of your worship you know so the disciples when he was saying that we're being set apart we've been set apart sometimes the church doesn't look very set apart sometimes we try to fit in when we try to when we should be standing out but we're meant to be holy as he is holy and Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're looking for God's will, just go follow God. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And what is holiness? It's not how much you go to church or how many people you tell about Jesus. It's not about striving to live on the right side of the rules. It means that the Christian lives a life that's set apart, reserved to give glory to God. It's a life of discipline, focus and attention to the, those matters of, you know, living for the Lord. So, yeah, when we're giving glory to God... You know, our whole life becomes worship, doesn't it? Put God first. There's no need to strive or struggle. Yeah. So, 
I think it's really good to examine ourselves and, and praying the prayer that David prayed when he said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We don't always get it right, but God knows our heart. And if we want to get it right, he, he helps us. You know, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So it's, you know, good to remember to keep in step with him. So, yeah. And 1 John 2, 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. So sometimes it's about prioritizing, isn't it? Ask God to, to show you where you are. So we're set apart and we're called to be different. And we, you know, we're set apart and called to be, you know, live, a, live to a higher standard. And I'm, I'm so glad that we not only have the word to help us, but also the Holy Spirit who teaches and guides us. You know, in fact, if you've been at the life groups lately, there's lots being said about how the world can distract us away from God, you know, at the table. You know, not giving the enemy a seat at your table. But just remember who's with you and that call that is placed on your life for love and good works. So just a quick summary. So we're to believe, we're not to judge, and we're to keep in step. Okay, listen for and always do what pleases the Father. And J. John said a wonderful statement, and he, he puts... He puts it into a really good context, and I love what he said here. He said, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. It's so amazing. I wish I could come up with something like that. But no, that's J. John. He's got some great statements. So let's pray. Father God, Thank you for your word. We ask that you would create in us a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit within each one of us. Show us how to live a life which is set apart for you and one which will glorify your name so that others will see and want what we have with you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And I don't want, you know, I do... I don't want to take it for granted that everyone in the room is a Christian and everyone who's listening to the the, the podcast is. Um, so, you know, I, I want to just say that Jesus suffered and died to pay for every sin that you've ever committed. And then he rose again and defeated that power of sin in our lives. So if you haven't yet received him into your heart, just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I know you died for me and paid for my sin so that I can be saved. I surrender my heart to you and commit my life to you from this day forward. Please fill me now with your Holy Spirit and thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice in Jesus' name.